0: Everyone who knows me knows that my dogs are never short on outfits. I buy leashes and collars like some people buy shoes and handbags. And my favorite collar is Iggy's custom-made Paco collar. Paco collars are 100% handmade from scratch by an amazing staff of artists and the quality really is unparalleled. My dogs can't have collars that don't withstand wear and tear. They hike, they swim, they roll on dead stuff. These collars are guaranteed to last a lifetime and they're designed to be worn by active dogs like mine. Iggy's collar is perfect for her. It's got purple stones, stars, and a beautiful design. There are literally thousands of design options to choose from, but don't worry. The staff at Paco loves helping customers pick out the best collar for their pets. That's exactly what they did when I went to their booth with Iggy. And they make stuff for humans too, so get over to pacocollars.com and buy the best collar you've ever had, and don't forget to enter promo code COGDOG for free shipping. You love them or you hate them. Start line stays. That's what we're talking about today. Um, There's definitely people who hate the battle of the start line stays so much that they just do without it. And there are people who love their start line stays so much that they do it even when the run doesn't call for a lead out. And everything in between also exists but I get a lot of questions about start-line stays, particularly broken start-line stays. And when I say broken, I mean the behavior is broken in the sense that maybe the dog can do it in training, or maybe they can't. But when you get to the trial and you really need it, somehow the behavior has fallen apart. Really common problems include the dog self-releasing or releasing before the handler believes to have cued the dog to release. That's kind of a big one. Put the dog in the sit, you say stay, you start walking before you know it, the dog is blasting past you. (laughs) Um, We've all seen this, maybe we've been there. I definitely have. Um, Or maybe you're almost there, you're getting there and the dog just bursts off the line. So that kind of premature release is an issue. Or sometimes dogs get sniffy and disconnected as soon as you start to lead out. Um, you put them in their position, you say, stay, you lead out and you look back and you've got, you see a dog that's looking everywhere but at you sniffing the ground, maybe has even gotten up because they started sniffing the ground and they caught scent of something. Um, that's a problem. I get fewer of those emails, but it's not a less common problem. I don't think. And then, My favorite is the pushy weirdness (laughs) behaviors, meaning the dog is crawling or scooting or hovering and almost seems to not even know that they're doing it. Um, In Border Collies in particular, it manifests as kind of stocky, sticky crap, the dog's butt kind of comes up in the air and their front goes lower and they look like they're walking up on sheep but they are just walking closer and closer to that first bar putting that first bar at bigger and bigger risk or maybe if they're not border collies and they don't have that crouchy stuff going on they're just scooting forward um scooting forward, sitting back up, scooting forward, sitting back up. Maybe they're dancing their front feet. Maybe they are vulturing. You left them in a nice upright sit, but they're becoming more and more crouched the further away you get. I think you guys get the gist. You've seen all of these pushy weirdness behaviors. You've seen premature releases and you've seen disconnected start lines. And here's the really good news. All of these have a training fix. And all of these have training prevention. We just need to be smart trainers when it comes to start lines. And sometimes we're not in dog agility because agility is really fun and dogs tend to kind of do it for us and they tend to want to hang in there with us and play this game. That's why it's dog agility and not cat agility. Um, But there are a couple of areas that give people kind of chronic problems. And I think the reason for that is training. Okay, so if we think about the things that cause the biggest problems, weave pulls, start line stays, and maybe missed contacts um, are some of the bigger problems that are happening again and again and again. And these are all things that actually involve some training. Um, They involve more training than teaching the dog to follow handler motion because that's actually pretty natural. They involve more training than teaching the dog to decelerate when the handler slows down because that's also pretty natural. There's nothing natural about sitting and waiting your turn if you're a dog. I'm going to say it's not natural in people either. We just teach it (laughs) from an early age. Um, And some of us are better at waiting than others. I am so averse to waiting that I will – I recently – needed to use the restroom at a concert, and I walked to the closest restroom, and there was a long line, and I walked clear to the other side of the stadium, which definitely took as long, if not longer, than that line would have taken, but I can't wait in lines. So, I don't. Anyway, I digress, but I think that a lot of our dogs have that temperament um, thread in common with me. So... One thing we've got to talk about, one thing that's going wrong, is something called cue transfer science. This is something that a lot of people don't really understand because we as dog trainers don't always need to understand it. But a cue transfer is what happens when you layer new cues um, in front of old cues and then the new cue becomes the cue for the behavior becomes the thing the animal recognizes. So let me make that more clear. If I've taught my dog to sit by luring him into a sit with a cookie, and then let's say I fade that lure out, and now I'm just giving a little hand motion to get him to sit, I can introduce that verbal cue by saying sit and then doing the hand motion. And if, and then, of course, marking and reinforcing. If I do this enough times, the dog will start to do the behavior on the word sit because he's predicting that next cue. Dogs are really good at that, and we can use it to our advantage, and we do use it to our advantage all the time in dog training. For instance, you might have trained your two-on-two-off with a cookie on a target plate at the end. And then maybe you faded up the cookie. And then it was easy to get rid of that target plate because the dog transferred over. Oh, just as soon as I'm doing the dog walk, that's the next behavior. I'm going to see the target plate. So I may as well um, weight shift back and get into that two on, two off. Dogs are good at this. We use it to our advantage. It also kills us on the start line because this is how it goes. Line the dog up. Tell the dog to stay. Walk out. Stop. Look over your shoulder. Raise up your arm. Release or any manner of, you know, order of operations that you're used to doing. And then pretty soon, whatever happened right before the release, maybe raising up your arm, becomes the new cue, as far as the dog is concerned. And then, looking over your shoulders, the new cue. And before long, as soon as you have walked past jump two, the dog is releasing. Because that cue transfer has happened all the way down the chain. And nothing ever happened. There was never um, a, you know, you never asked the dog to do anything different. Or maybe you did in training, which is further complicated matters because you weren't asking for them to do something different in trials. And so this just happens to, this happens to your start line naturally. Unless you're going to mix it up really drastically how you lead out every time, it's going to happen. So couple of ways we can avoid Q-transfer hell, <laughs> which is what's happening to a lot of people's start lines. We can lead out, raise our arm, look over our shoulder, and then ask for a different behavior. Okay, so we can mix it up and ask for other things after we have let out. Um, so we can make that end behavior, that final thing they get reinforced for, a different thing. Or we can mix up what we are doing. We could run out to our spot um, with our arm out the whole way and then release. We could run out to, we could go out to our our spot, start moving, then release. We, you know, you can mix it up any number of ways. I do find that that's hard for people, that people are creatures of habit and they want to lead out exactly the same every time. So I like to teach my dogs different position changes on the line as something that can be done, but best thing is to just not get into cue transfer hell in the first place by keeping an eye on that behavior and not reinforcing it when the dog starts to cue transfer because the reason this becomes such a problem for people is because they're not actually watching the dog and they don't actually realize that they have said break after the dog has started to move most of the time and if you're an agility teacher coach you have seen this so many times and you have said to your student. Hey, the dog released himself and the student has said, no, he didn't. I did. And then you say, well, I know you said your release cue. I hear that. But the dog moved before you said it. And nine times out of ten, they have no idea. So you really need to keep an eye on that behavior. And you need to be strict about it. Be strict about it in training. The dog moves before you said you need to go reset them. It's very important. Um, And then in trials... When they're first coming out, don't ask them for lead outs they can't do. And have a plan in place for if they break. You should always have a plan in place. Um, because if you look back and your dog is running towards you and you have said nothing, that's a moment there. So you can say, all right, we're leaving. Or you can say, I'm going to ask you to do this again. And I'm going to lead out again. And if I get whistled for training, so be it. Um, or you can just keep running and decide you're going to fix it in training. The problem becomes you do that 14 times over any given weekend. You now have a real problem where the dog says in the context of a trial, the cue is walking past jump two. And in the context of training, the cue is the word break. All right. Cause they're very good at that. Uh, they're very good at those picking up on those contextual changes, so don't get yourself into trouble in the first place by really keeping an eye on that behavior and keeping a close eye on it when you bring out your dog to begin with. And don't push it. Don't test that behavior until you think it's going to pass the test. I don't ask for things I don't think I'm going to get. Um, if Iggy for instance, she's nine and a half, she has a long career, she will get really pushy on her start line if it's an intense environment for some reason. So a regional or nationals final run, she's not going to stay very long. <laughs> and that's just something that she's taught me, um, through major punishment procedures and I just pay attention to it. Um, I also pay attention to what's going on behind the dog because my dogs will both struggle to stay if, Something is bothering them that's behind them, and that happens all the time. And we'll talk about that a little bit when we get to the sniffy disconnection stuff. So the first thing to do is to keep an eye on the cue transfer and know that cue transfers occur and spend some serious time videoing your own behavior as you lead out and release because you need to get really clear about what actually is my dog releasing on most of the time because you might find that it is on emotion and not um, not a word. And how can I break this down and how can I be consistent and how can I be the most clear that I can be? I find that focusing in on the handler is the biggest thing that we often have to do when we're fixing broken start line stays. If you're a little bit nervous leading out in a trial and you walk out with pure confidence in training. Know that that presents a different picture to your dog and you're going to need to figure out how to play with that. I talked about that a little bit in, um, Synergy, the Synergy three-part series. I talk about it a little bit in, um, the second part and the third part. So that's something to definitely check out. So cue transfer, big thing to think about. And then if your dog is getting sniffy or disconnected on the start line, you, Your major area of concern there is that you have not trained a consent cue. So in Worked Up, I talk about what I call a start button behavior, um, which is a trained cue that the dog can do. And when you ask the dog to do that behavior, they're essentially agreeing to agility by doing that behavior. And they know that because you have... Applied agility as the consequence for that behavior in the same sense that when you say sit and give a hot dog and you do that 20 times probably not a whole hot dog but you know what I'm saying Um, when you say sit and you give a treat and you do that 20 times when the dog sits the 21st time he's saying yes I would like a treat. So if we make agility the consequence for a start button behavior, so let's say um, sustained eye contact on the start line, my dog looks straight into my eyes, I count to three, he has given me a sustained eye contact, he is agreeing to agility because every single time after the initial acquisition of that behavior, I have started agility for him when he does it. So now if he's not consenting to agility, let's say he's not ready. Let's say he can't do it. Let's say there's a dog freaking him out right outside the ring. He's not going to give me that eye contact. And now I can choose to leave the ring um, or give him a break instead of asking him to do agility. So if your dog is disconnecting on the start line, you need to train them. I would actually train them two start button behaviors. And the first one would be the dog consenting to agility. Um, And the second one would be kind of the dog consenting to be released off the start line. So dog gives you eye contact or dog maybe offers a down once you have let out or a sit. Um, And that's all just training. That's not going to magically happen for you. (laughs) That's all just training. And, you know, I'd lead out, ask the dog for a down. Dog downs, release, release to the course. Dog doesn't down, go back and take a break dog is going to start to understand when I down after the lead out, I will be released next. Um, And I would say that sniffing and looking around is 100% lack of consent. That is a dog that is not wanting to be there right now. And if the dog explodes off the line, and is super fast, looks super happy, that's great. But we have to look at every piece of the behavior the dog is giving us and not just kind of say well he's fast therefore he's happy or he's fast therefore he likes this game i've known plenty of fast dogs that as soon as we gave them the power to consent to agility stopped consenting to agility um i'd also be building layers of consent into my training and we can talk about this further um on a different episode if you guys want to but i would be building layers of consent in, I would have the dog asked to go in the ring, asked to have his leash off, asked to be lined up and let and have the lead out happen. Um, Because if once you lead out, you lose the dog, the lead out buys you nothing, you may as well not have it. So that's something to really think about for the sniffy kind of disconnection. And then something that applies to all of this definitely applies to sniffy disconnection, definitely applies to premature release, but big, big time, it applies to the pushy weirdness types of behaviors we start to get on the line, is that consequences change behavior. Consequences drive behavior. So understand that the start line stay is a behavior that you trained, probably with the consequence of a classic reinforcer like a toy or food. And then once that behavior was pretty consistent, you may sometimes go back and reinforce it with food or a toy, but the majority of the time, probably agility is the consequence for the start line stay. Right? So pretty much all the time we ask them to stay, we lead out, then we release them to agility. Even the best trainers, I don't think are walking back and reinforcing that often. Um, and that can actually punish your start line once the dog understands that agility is another option for them. So if my dog knows that he might get food or he might get a toy for doing a certain behavior and he really prefers toys. So let's say he knows he might get food or he might get toy for a uh, toy for doing a certain behavior and I give him food when he does it a certain way. So let's say I ask him to down... And he puts his chest down before his butt. I'm going to give him a toy. If he puts his butt down before his chest, I'm going to give him food. What's going to happen to that other response? I'm going to bet I'm going to get a whole lot more chest first downs than butt first downs. Because I am effectively punishing the butt first down by giving him food. Because that's disappointing because he wants the toy. So now if I ask my dog to stay and I lead out and I walk back and give her a piece of food, but what she wanted was agility, I'm punishing the stay in the same sense as the down scenario that I just said. Same thing could be happening for the sniffy disconnection dogs. They know in a certain context, like if they're only doing that in a trial and not at home, they know in that context, there's no chance that they're going to get a cookie. And there is just a hundred percent chance they're going to get released to agility. And they start to just kind of go, Yuck on that because they don't actually want to do agility. It's very possible. <clears throat> um, and using agility as a primary consequence for this, uh, the lead out, which is what inevitably occurs, means that the behavior in the stay is going to change. If you've ever trained a behavior first with food and then, used a toy to hold that behavior up or to reinforce it later, you saw this phenomenon that I'm talking about here because you saw that behavior change. So I'm a huge fan of training every skill and agility to fluency with food before I reinforce it with a toy. And that is, that's a lesson from Felix. (laughs) Um, And I can talk more about that too if you guys want. But, so let's say I train weave poles and I train them with food. And then I like how they're looking. So I start to pay for them with the toy. What's going to start to happen is I'm going to get a lower body posture. um, I'm going to get smarter uh, body movements. So the dog's maybe going to sidestep um, and have smarter footwork through there because they're trying to go faster and I'm going to be getting more speed. So I'm going to change the behavior by changing the consequence for that behavior. So now let's go back to start lines. That's what you did. You trained it probably with food. You probably trained sit-stay with food because that's a smart way to train it. So you trained it with food and now the new consequence is not food. The new consequence is agility. And now you're getting stocky, scooty, um, weird, vultury crap on the start line, and the reason you are is because they're having these big agility feelings in this behavior. So what's the answer? It's a couple of answers. Number one, you might think about using more sustainable reinforcement from the beginning. So teach a little tiny baby puppy stay, but really, really quickly work on doing a stay while I throw a ball doing a stay while I throw a frisbee, doing a stay while I run past, and then the release is the reinforcer. I don't walk back and give you food. The release is always the reinforcer. And then the other is you're going to need to decide what your criteria is. Because when I watch my weave poles change because I started training them, started reinforcing them with toys, they're changing in ways that I like. The dog's getting faster, the footwork looks better, uh, the center of gravity is lower, it's changing in ways that I like. But if it changes in ways that I don't like, like the dog skips poles in the middle or leaves the poles early or enters incorrectly, I'm not going to keep giving the toy, right? So if the dog starts, let's say, missing the entrance because I'm using a toy, I'm going to go back to food. And I'm not going to give the dog a toy when he messes up the weave poles. But we do that all the time with our start line stay. We go, oh, hell, whatever. Um, you know, I paid 25 bucks for this run. So we just run on and let the dog keep running and the dog goes, oh, cool, this is more comfortable for me now that this reinforcer is more exciting. And also I still get access to the reinforcer, so nothing's broken here, nothing's wrong. So I'm going to go back to food a little while on my weave poles until I think that's prob- that problem is fixed. And then I might try to find a split. I'll reinforce with a food stuffed toy or I'll reinforce with a less exciting toy um, before I build up to more exciting toys. And on my start line, if I start to see it breaking... I'm going to go back to the drawing board and go, how can I reinforce this smarter? I'm a huge fan of flipping the dog backwards to reinforcement on the start line. I love, love, love in training to drop a toy behind my dog and lead out, and then about 50-50 release him to run with me or flip him backwards to the toy. Um, and that's a trained behavior. I put the dog in sit-stay, put, put the toy behind the dog, release the dog to the toy, and then we play. And when I release the dog to the toy... He brings it to me out on the course. We play a little, and then we still run without doing a stay. So agility still happens, um, and that's a little bit more sustainable. So let's say your dog's not super hot on toys. They like food. And now we've got agility, super fast, great, exciting, or food. So food, calm stay feelings. Agility, not calm stay feelings. Where's the transfer there? What do we do? So in that scenario you got to find those splits like I would have with my weave poles. So I would say, what's a fun, fast, um, quick reinforcer that involves food that I can use, that I can work on this behavior with before I go back into the ring? So maybe it's throwing a lotus ball full of food um, and then releasing the dog to it, that sort of thing. And then very, very importantly, not allowing the dog access to the reinforcer. This isn't about um, putting the dog into a punishment procedure. So actually punishing broken start line stays as a procedure to fix the, fix the start line stay, isn't what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that from beginning, from the beginning, you uphold your criteria. So in Felix's first trial, he broke a start line towards the end of the trial, It started out really nice. And then it kind of went to crap by the end. I did just let him run because I knew, that I wasn't going to go enter a bunch more trials. This was just a test run. This was to see how we are. So we ran. I went home. I went back to the drawing board. I worked really hard on the start line stay. He hasn't had a problem since then. But if he broke his stay at the next trial. I would have a plan in place. And he's kind of on a break from trialing for the summer anyway. Because I tend to do that. But um, if I don't expect him to break the stay now. I just don't expect him to. And if he did, I'd probably ask him for a sit again before I released him again. Um, and I'd still go forward knowing that's not a real plan to fix this. So I would look and see what the behavior did next time. And if the behavior's the same next time, I'd probably leave and I'd probably scratch the rest of my runs because I value these behaviors too much. And it all comes down to what do you value? What do you need? Um, I'm not a fast runner and I'm pretty orthopedically broken, so I kind of would like it if he would stay. So I'm going to uphold that and I'm going to hold it at a high level of importance. Um, and I, yeah, I'm going to be strict about it. And then in training, if he's getting, if he's starting to break or if I'm starting to see any of the pushy weirdness, the weird behaviors that are coming along, um, with this reinforcer, I'm just going to have a line in my head of which of those behaviors actually are okay and fit my criteria still, which don't. So I don't actually care if he vultures because I've taught him to jump well, even vulturing. I've done that on purpose. Um, I do care if he stands up. I do care if he walks forward. Okay, so those are things, so that's just, I've decided that, and I've decided that ahead of time. You also have to decide that ahead of time. Do you care if the dog is hovering and foot dancing as long as they're not moving forward? I wouldn't. Do you care if the dog is crawling because you know how far far back to set them, and they're just going to crawl the entire time you're leading out, and it'll be fine? Those are things you have to decide, and then you simply don't allow them access to the reinforcer if they didn't actually meet the criteria, um, which isn't something people are great at because, you know, they just want to run their course. And honestly, it's not going to break anything if you do it a couple of times, but it is going to break it if you do it repeatedly, which is I think what people do. So I love this topic. I love start line stays and I train them as part of agility. I train them as all of my other skills with lots of fun games so that, um, so that I walk to the line and I have a very clear routine. And I think that's been helpful for my dogs. So if you've got questions on start line stays or you want to make some comments on this episode, jump over on the CogDog Radio Facebook page and do that there. And I look forward to reading them. Thanks for listening to CogDog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to CogDogRadio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the CogDog Radio Facebook page. And until next time, happy training.